Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Brian, welcome to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast. I'm excited today to uh, talk to you um, about your new book that you've released. So congratulations on that. And just your your background and experience. I think it's going to be um, a great conversation for our listeners. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's get started. Perfect. Well, let me, let me start off with this. So you have this philosophy that's, uh, you know, the life of each person on earth has the same value of my life or your life. And no matter how bad a person is or poor they are or aged or ill or mean, their life has the exact same importance as yours or, or mine, right? So um, you yeah. say this, uh, this drives not just your attitude towards each person, but much of your behavior and your actions. So can you expand on this philosophy and, and why did you choose this as something to abide by? I don't know why I chose it, Steve. I, throughout my soul and my body, I believe it's true. And I think it's probably from experience with other people, many of whom might've been down on their luck. I've gotten to know them. I realized what a terrific person. Certainly they were. What a wonderful, even back to childhood, child they were. And I recognize most of them have had a series of bad breaks in life. And yet underneath, they're one of us. They're God's child and they're very valuable. And I value their life and recognize I'm not that important. It's the same value as my life. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because I mean, I was just talking to my mom about this the other day. We're having at a pic, we're having a picnic at the park and, you know, my son is five years old and, you know, she's saying, Oh, your, your son's so cute. And, you know, we're, we got on the, the topic of children and their innocence and everything else. And it's interesting that, you know, even like the serial killers out there or like the people that do really, really bad things, they were once somebody's kid, right. The, the sweet kid. And um, I mean, even to your point, it's like, we all start off right? As these children with like so much hope and so much, you know, faith in the future and then bad breaks come or bad things happen to people. And um, I I think it's, it's your perspective that I really like. And it's this idea of showing people a little bit more grace and compassion. Yes. I really believe in that. And I love the description of they were somebody's child once and their parents loved them. They may or may not have been able to treat them well or raise them well, but they loved them. And I think everyone was there. And what I've seen through my work with uh, the homeless and poor at our above and beyond center is that when you take them back in time to preceding their problems and start there, they can realize they're a wonderful person. They really do have value. And you help them build from there in a different direction than they went previously. Exactly. And I think it's about seeing the potential in people and seeing what they could become and, you know, showing people love that, that can make all the difference in the world. So let me ask you this. So so what brought you to this point in life? And do you think your life turned out the way that you imagined it? I don't remember how I imagined it ever (laughs) since my life went wrong when I was about 11 years old and realized I was not going to be a major league baseball player, which was my dream. And that was my vision. Um, I've quit trying to predict where it's going, but it has gone in ways I'm very, very happy about, and I wouldn't do it differently. I've gone through different phases in life, phases of success, and now learning about people, uh, human beings, teamwork, 
and how to succeed in different aspects of your life. So I've gone through, I, I think, different periods of learning, but I've loved it all and I'm still learning and still loving it. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting and we'll talk more about this as we get into more of the interview, but you know, you've been very successful in business and investing in private equity. Uh, you know, when you were younger, did you have like this interest in business? And did you think that, you know, one day you wanted to invest in companies and be this business person or like, what were your thoughts when you were younger? When I was younger, I had read about entrepreneurs that built successful companies. And this is my teenage years, maybe 15, um, in time magazine and elsewhere. And that resonated with me. And so I went into college with the idea. I really like uh, the idea that people can grow companies successfully. And during college, I came up with a thought, I think I'll be involved in the future in mergers and acquisitions, i.e. growth of companies. But I didn't know too much about what that meant, except uh, putting things together, trying to be successful. And then I took that with me to graduate school and refined it and eventually heard about venture capital and recognized that's what I've been looking for, growing young companies or helping. And is that why you, you ended up pursuing your, um, your bachelor's in economics and then you got your MBA and your JD degrees from Harvard? Um, I mean, was that part of this path? Did you realize that you needed the, that education and those skills and those capabilities to do this or, or what drove that passion exactly? Two things. One is in college, I realized I happened to be uh, good analytically and gifted with numbers. And yet I recognized that I want a human element. I didn't want to go into science or engineering, but I thought there wouldn't be, uh, there might be too much time at a drawing board and uh, wanted to be with people. So economics, I felt like was a good balance between understanding how the world works, but also understanding in the context of dealing with a lot of people. And then when I went to graduate school, I was fortunate to go to both law school and get an MBA. And I did that because I still wasn't sure exactly what I needed to know. And I figured that between the two of those, I should be able to figure it out. And so that's yeah. why I went to an extra year of graduate school. So, and I did recognize, uh, sorry, just to finish up, uh, the importance of the education and what it did the education had only prepared me in a way analytically in how to think about business and people and teams, but also it opened doors. Uh, I was able to get the job I wanted, which I wouldn't have without the education. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Do you think when it comes to opening doors, here, here's a question for you. Um, do you think people, they squander the opportunity to open doors or reach out to people that are within their networks and therefore they, they miss out on these potential opportunities that exist right in front of them. Does that make sense? My question. It does. And I do think that happens. I think that people tend to pigeonhole the way they think about other people or uh, possibilities. A lot of times our first reflexive thought about an opportunity and what, who it may fit is narrow and if we stand back and reflect, we may have aha moments like, oh, yeah, it could also be this or that. And I get to that by talking to other people about things. That's where I broaden my perspective and see things from different angles. So other people can be included and can try introducing them to a possibility is really, really helpful. So, yeah, I, I think that absolutely happens. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I want to talk about your investment experience here, and then I want to get into your book, if that's okay. So sure. you've been investing for, for 40 years now with strong, consistent returns. Um, do you believe that there's this secret sauce to investing? I, I do believe there's a secret sauce. It's not really secret, but, but there are, say, natural rules. It's more like the relationship the way investing works in the real world is not an exact science. It's more like why I took economics, not an exact science. It's behavioral and a lot of things. But there are key things to look at in investing. And when I was young at First Chicago, 
when I started my venture capital career, I recognized there's key things to look for, which is one is growth. One is size of the company's market. Of course, it's the management team. It takes years to learn how to characterize those and quantitate or understand the possibilities or probabilities in any particular investment. That's why I say there is a sauce to be applied, a a system to be applied to making good returns, but it's not an exact science. You know, obviously, I mean, you're smart, you're a smart guy and you've been very successful. Do you see yourself as more of like a analytical person where, you know, you get all this data, you, you go through the data, you look at trends, you, you know, do quantitative analysis or whatever it is to make decisions, or do you rely more on intuition and gut feel or a combination thereof? How, how have you like made decisions throughout your life to allow you to achieve um, your level of success? It's a great question. And I do, I use both. And I think a, a great investor must use both because there's so much that each brings. Understanding intuition, what's your sense here, and driving that to what am I worried about? Um, understanding people, teamwork of a team, their relationships, where their gaps on the team, all of that I put with intuition and the people side of it. And then the analytical side, uh, understanding market size and understanding profit margins and incremental profit margins as you grow a company, those are crucial. And then competition and how technology change and competition could thwart a company's preeminence. Those are really important. When I was young, I actually did a lot more analytical work and a little bit of intuition. I don't think I probably had good intuition. And also, I so I used analysis more heavily. Today, um, the analysis I need to look at is fairly smaller, a few things. It's short because I can look at having, it's like I've seen this movie before, uh, only the actors are different when I look mm-hmm. at another company. And so I know where to go to find the risk and to look for the upside, which are the two key, key things I want to know. And then I go after those. So it's a much more expedited process today, but I needed to be detail-oriented when I was young and newer at it because that I could get a bunch of answers that way and I didn't have the uh, insight, the wisdom that uh, experience gives one. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're making these investments, I'm sure like the leadership team is really important to you. So what does the word leadership mean to you actually? Leadership back then meant someone who's in charge and made the decisions. Today, it means something quite a bit different to me because I believe not in the hierarchical um, command and control type of uh, leadership. I have found what works best to be inspirational teamwork. So a leader inspires, helps set a vision that inspires people and energizes a team And what I as a leader want people to do is innovate. I don't want them to do what they've learned to do. I want them to discover new ways, better ways of doing things. And so I ask people to do that and want them to innovate, particularly today with our world changing faster and technology markets, et cetera, changing faster. Innovation is more and more important. So today I look at leadership is an inspiring person who sets a vision, points to the hill we're going to take, uh, and is responsible for the outcome, but doesn't take credit, gives the credit to the team, because in fact, it is the team that uh, creates the success. No, and I love that. And I, I love your point about the shift from this like command and control type leadership style to one that's more like aspirational, right? And like, how do you get people excited about the future? And like, how do you help them to unlock their true potential? And I I think that's, that's absolutely right. So what advice do you have for leaders out there that are trying to navigate these new waters with like the pandemic and everything else that's going on in the world? Because I mean, there's a a lot of things that have changed and shifted. So what do you, what would you say to them? I I would say 
to leaders, first, the changes have occurred. Don't assume they're temporary. Many people look and say, it'll go back to the old way. In most cases, it's not going to go back to the old way. In fact, the velocity may increase on the changes. Therefore, look at technology markets, competition, whatever it is, and recognize, okay, that's going to continue. Study the, the things you don't like, like the changes that are occurring that you don't like. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to contend with A, B, and C. Study those and figure out who will be the winners when A, B, C happen. Who's going to win and who's going to lose? Then position your company, your product line, your services, your people to look like the winner. You can't entirely change, but modify your company to become what A, B, and C actually help instead of hurt. And then you'll find your fastest growth over the next 10 years will be in those spaces, in those directions. Uh, I love that. That's great advice. Well, and, and that, that leads into um, your book. So you, your book, congratulations on it. It's called Be a Winner. It's out now. Um, be sure to check it out if you're listening here. But let me ask you this. Why didn't you write a book called um, How to Be Successful in Private Equity or Leadership in the World of Investing or Maximizing Your Returns? Why, why didn't you write something about that? Because I mean, you have tremendous experience you know, over the last 40 years, but um, instead you chose to write one more from like a personal perspective. Uh, I'd love to hear like the genesis of your book and, and why you decided to write it. I see. Yeah. So my book began as when, when my kids, I have three daughters were young. I started trying to teach them uh, some things I'd learned so that they could be more successful in life. I remember setting up a whiteboard when they were 10 years old and explaining them to the keys to how to negotiate a purchase in life of a washer or dryer or a car and the different steps to take. And I eventually compiled a little notebook that I gave them when they're a bit older with some of the subjects in it um, that we had discussed when they're younger. And as I gave speeches, when I would say, here's 10 ways to lead you towards success as a teammate, or here's, five ways to invest well or whatever it was when I gave a number of specific points I was going to give people the pens came out of their pocket and the paper pads they just started writing and I recognized people were hungry for specific ways to accomplish things and over the years I've been lucky enough to figure out a lot of ways that things work and how to get things done Many of them are counterintuitive or the opposite of what we've been taught. And so I try to stress those. And back to the book, the reason I didn't write about how to invest your way to success or how to build companies is what I've learned is there's laws of nature that permeate personal relationships, businesses, life, uh, fulfillment, happiness, and success that are all the same. They cross over. And so I felt like describing the way to do one aspect of what I've been lucky enough to learn about would have been cheating the audience or at least not sharing as much as I might have because I've learned what you learn at home raising teenage daughters makes business look easy. And so I can take... I, they don't speak the same language. They don't have the same goals you do. That's challenging. Um, it, and I found many things I learned in business about how to uh, see the future, inspire people to share that with you, um, ha- get people to bring out the best in themselves, that many of those things help me in my personal life. And they both may help if you do some uh, work in a not-for-profit, helping people in some way. The, those other parts of your life are so helpful to understanding how to help the people that you're assisting succeed and how to help that not-for-profit organization succeed. So I realized it's all intermixed, intermingled, and the same basic laws and influences 
apply. And having been involved in a number of different areas, I decided I might as well explain it that way because that's in fact how the world works. And I've been lucky enough to see a lot of it and I'm still learning more. So I don't know a lot, but I'm learning uh, all the time. The breadth is there. And so I thought I should really work to describe that to people that read the book. Well, and that's interesting. And I, I think we we can both agree that most people in life want to win, right? And yes. So why why do you think so many though come up short on achieving their potential and true fulfillment? I think there's a lot of reasons that people don't always succeed and often don't. And several of them are basically barriers that people construct that prevent them from succeeding. It's like they put up a roadblock right in front of their car. One of them would be victimhood, which is a person saying, and who regularly says, that wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. That was so-and-so's fault. Oh, that happened to me. People that will not take or don't take responsibility for the mistakes they make, they don't learn from the mistakes. Whereas I make tons of mistakes. They're my best teacher. That's how I've learned the most. And people who uh, feel like things happen to them, not by them, but things happen to them, they're circumstantial. That's how they explain why they're not successful early on. I don't mean at age 60, I mean earlier. And it's why they don't succeed is they won't say, I'm going to learn. I make a lot of mistakes. I forgive myself. I'm going to learn. So victimhood When people quit being a victim, you know, which is saying this happened to me, not my fault. When they start saying I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life, of course, there's bad breaks, but I'm responsible for handling those and coping with them and moving forward. Those people tend to take charge of their life. And I've observed that people who take charge of their life generally succeed. So being a victim and feeling like life happens to you is a dead end, sadly. And I see it all over the place. You can see it in people's conversations about their history and what's happened. Um, So that's a big roadblock. Another one is fear of change, I guess, getting in a rut. Many people take a job or a role, maybe in several companies over time, but they keep doing the same thing. And If you suggest to them, why don't you do something different? Because they're complaining, oh, I don't like my job. They're they're afraid to change. I think they fear they might stumble. And getting in a rut can happen insidiously. People just have a job. And I saw it when I was in college. I worked for a company part-time. And there was an older gentleman, and he told me he had taken a job in his 20s that he didn't love, but he took it to put some bread on the table. He was married. He said, I was going to switch. Then we had kids. And so I didn't switch then. And I was going to switch jobs in my 30s, but then I had a mortgage, so I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And now I'm 64 and I'm about to retire. And I've been in this job I never liked for 40 years. That was so sad for me to hear. I was just saddened to hear that and committed to myself. I would never get in a rut. And you have to be proactive. You can't just say that once. You have to ask yourself all the time, am I getting in a rut? Is this exactly what I want to do? Should I change some things? Other, it, can, it can kind of set in if you're not actively pushing against falling into a rut. Those are two major ones that I'll... Uh, stop with, but people put these barriers up that do preclude their success. Well, and and I think that's interesting because, you know, recently I've spoken with, you know, two founders of different uh, private equity firms and in those conversations, you know, I'm always curious about how they got started and both of their stories, you know, went something like this. They were in successful careers, like working for another company, you know, they had a great salary they had direct reports. They had the fancy car, the fancy corner office. They were married. They they had um, a kid or young kids, 
And like one day they're like, what the heck am I doing? Like, why am I, you know, making this company all this money when I could be out doing this myself? And that's really what I'm passionate about. And in both of those situations, they just, they had the moxie to just leave. Right. And I remember one, I was talking to him, like, yeah, my wife was like, so how much money are you going to make when you leave? And he's like, zero dollars for maybe a couple of years. And she's like, what, you know, like, what are you going to do? And, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to do it and I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, both of them said like, they didn't know what they're doing. I mean, they, they had an idea, right. They, they had a business background, but they had no clue what it took to write a, run a private equity firm. So when I think about that, and I, I mean, I, I relate this to my own life. It's, you know, there, there's things out there that are like calling us like, Hey, whether that's a, we're, we're being called to start a nonprofit we're passionate about or do humanitarian work or start a company or, you know, step up into a new leadership role that will stretch us. There's all these things that are calling us in life to do. And I think like the more that we fight that and resist that, like our body and our soul knows what it's supposed to be doing. And when we do that, it's, it's still there, right? And we live in this, this um, weird phase of discontent. And, but it could be scary. And I I imagine for you too, Brian, like you've done some scary things in your life and, you know, going off and and starting your own investment firms, you know, that's kind of a big deal. So like, what advice do you have for people that are just sitting there on the fence and they're thinking, wow, should I be more aggressive and ask for that promotion? Should I go start this company? Should I go do this humanitarian work or whatever it is? But they're sitting back like, well, that's crazy. I mean, that's a crazy idea. What if I fail? What if this and this happens and they're, they just get paralyzed through over analysis? What's your advice to them? Hey, real quick. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level, or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Yeah, there's... Those are great questions and observations about the people that did leave and start. Two things. One is fear is natural, and I'll come back to that. But every time I started something, I had some fear. But it was a great motivator because here's one key is every time I would think, Brian, you know this could fail, I'd tell myself, banish that thought. It's going to be a major success. Doing that habitually help me believe, wow, this is going to be a big success. And it works. That way of thinking works. So don't deny the fear. And if there's something you need to fix so that uh, it won't be as risky, do it. But the other thing I've observed is that most people that take life risks, like you're describing, Steve, most of them succeed. Almost every time I've observed, the reason is Let's face it, people are risk averse. Well, if you look at our big world and our economy, it's grounded on change and improvement. The world economy needs people to create change, and that means taking some risk. And therefore, what I've noticed is risk takers get well rewarded and almost always succeed because there isn't enough risk taking in the world. Too many people are afraid to take it. So there's all sorts of good ideas and risks out there that the world economy would want to be taken that aren't. So I've observed the people that do, like the gentleman you described, they almost always succeed. And the people that could have done that, to me, it's very sad, uh, like the gentleman that never left his job, because he could have done it successfully, but he, was, he just didn't want to take the risk. He let fear get the better of him. Uh, He was in a rut. So there's a lot of things, but taking life risks like that usually works. That's an interesting perspective. And yeah, I mean, I agree. There's very few people. I can't even think of anybody right now that I've talked to who said, yeah, you know, I went off on my own and I, you know, I started this business and like, it never worked out and maybe it didn't work out in the short term. You know, maybe they started the business, that business failed, but which led to another one and, and, or led to another one, but then it eventually got them to where they needed to go. But very, I mean, I can't even think of a scenario where it's like, yeah, I took a risk and I failed and I'm destitute and I'm living out of a box or something. Right. So, I mean, it's, um, 
I just don't think that you're right. That happens. That's consistent with what I've seen. People change into something that does work when the first one isn't quite functioning. Absolutely. And, that, and that's good for the listeners to hear. Let me, let me ask you this. This is something that I've been thinking about lately. You know, I, I think, you know, oftentimes right in front of our faces, we have all the resources that we need in order to achieve what we want, right? So we have the people right in front mm-hmm. of us. We have, you know, the resources that exist. And, you know, so I, I've lived in the Denver area for the past 32 years, and, you know, the other day I was driving to um, this little town south of Denver, and I thought to myself, I've been coming to the same place for, you know, 32 years and everything's the same. Sure. There's more buildings, there's more stores, there's more commerce, mm-hmm. but I mean, all the, all the other resources are the same. What's changed though, is me and my perspective and how I view things mm. or the skills that I have to leverage the resources that are, that are right in front of me. So I, I guess what I'm getting to Brian is, you know, when I think about where I want to go personally, let me be selfish here for a minute on the podcast, but like where I want to go um, in life and what I want to achieve, I think to myself, look, you know, what daily habits do I need to put in place? What skills do I need to have? Um, what mindset do I need to develop and what network do I need to have in order to achieve what do I, what I want to achieve? And so I think about that and instead of trying to like pursue things like, okay, I, I want to be a, a CEO. I, I, I don't think like pursuing titles or things is really a good thing to do because you, know, you say, Hey, I want to be a CEO. Well, you could be a CEO. You could be miserable, right? You could, you could have right. horrible relationships with people around you, but instead like pursuing the feelings that are associated with our goals and like the state of mind that we want to be in, or what, what does daily living look like when I'm a CEO instead of just being a CEO. So going back to my question is, you know, when I think about, okay, I need to develop different, a different mindset, different skill sets, tap into a, a network or develop a new net, network and introduce myself to new people. I need to have different habits if I want to change myself to get to where I want to get. Like, so what advice would you have to somebody like me or somebody who's listening who feels like they're in a similar spot? How, like, how do you do that? Is it, I mean, do you just like jot this down and then you just start working towards it or, or what's your experience with, with changing and transforming yourself? Yeah. Two things on that probably one is I agree with you. You don't want to go for something narrow as your success, say being a CEO, cause that can end and ultimately does. I look at a broader foundation of success because when that ends people that that was their identity, their self identity, they have difficulties, Mm -hmm. but people who say, I want to be happy at home and have good relationships. And I'm going to do that, et cetera. The people that have a broader definition of success, that is lasting because one part of it, can become difficult, one aspect of life, but the rest of it is still enriching you and you're still, I think, living your life's purpose or you understand its meaning meaning across a group of areas. And that's a foundation of happiness, success, fulfillment that lasts. So that's what I do encourage people to go after is broader rather than a narrow definition of success. And then I think when one thinks about, I want to become this or that, or do this or that, I think it's really good to plan backwards. And by that, I mean, envision in your mind and actually sit down and think about what does success look like? If you do that and you're there in 10 years, kind of make a picture of what it is, what it involves, what you have, and then work backwards from there say the step before, a year before, I'm there, two years before, what did I have and what did I need to finish or accomplish? And you can see the next step to take through that process that most people will never see or can't see if they don't plan backwards. I describe it as the little mazes we were presented with on paper as kids with all the lines and dead ends where you had to solve the maze. And the way you got to the center was starting at the center, working backwards. That was the quick way to solve it. And same thing in life. 
if you can't see the next step, then plan backwards. Go way forward, work your way back. And I think you'll see things like you need to learn more about this or you need to talk to this group of people to ascertain whether you would love that outcome and also what assets or attributes you need to have to go get that outcome. And then usually you need to network and talk to a lot of people. But once you've done that, you have a far more realistic view of your objective and how you might get it and whether you want it than if we just stand back and say, I want to be CEO or I want to start a company. Um, so that's how I w- would go about it. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I'm sure you agree. You can agree because, you know, you've achieved success and, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be successful in different roles, but it's, you know, I, I could tell you that, you know, you set a goal to achieve a certain title or a certain position, or you say, oh, you know, here's my goal to start this business. And this is my goal. And when I achieve that, you know, and I, I start this business and get it off and going, then, then I'm going to be happy. And then you realize, okay, well, I got this title. I started this <laughs> business, but I'm miserable. And now I'm struggling with like the relationship with my, with my partner or with my kids or, or whatever it may be. So I think um, your advice about being broad, but also being clear of, of what you want is, is really, really valuable. Yeah, it, it really works. When people know uh, beneath it all where they want to go, they can start to figure out how they want to get there. But when part of your life becomes imbalanced, like I want to get this promotion or go here, and you start working 18-hour days and ignoring the rest of your life, uh, it it doesn't usually persist. It can sadly crumble. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've I've experienced that unfortunately in my my life too. So let me ask you this because I was having a conversation with another friend too, and. Um, we were talking about, you know, just having clarity of, of what we want. And it's interesting that, you know, that's probably one of the biggest challenges, right? Like when I'm working with organizations with strategy, one of the, the biggest uh, pieces of the puzzle and the hardest thing to do is to define the strategic problem. Okay. What's the strategic problem the organization is trying to solve with its strategy? And that could be really challenging because you get a lot of vague things like, oh, well, the problem is we want this or we want that. And it's like, that's really not what it is. We need to get more defined and get very clear. And I think the same thing is true with our personal lives. You know, when we're sitting here thinking about the future, don't you think it's hard sometimes to define really what we want? Because I think once we figure that out, to your point, if you could say, hey, look, this is what I want in life. And let me be crystal clear. And I'm going to define what that looks like. And maybe it doesn't turn out that way. And I'm fine with that if it doesn't turn out exactly you know, what I'm thinking it should be. But getting really, really clear on like our vision, right? Creating and attaining our visions mm-hmm. um, starts with this clarity. But you know, it's like, why is it so hard to do? Because you know, I, I think, you know when it comes to like running, for example, I love running. I've ran six marathons so far. Mm-hmm. And so Good I can, I can set my mind wow. to it and I can say, Hey, look, I want to run a marathon and the marathon is in 96 days. And so I'm going to put together a, a training schedule and start, start with the end and then work my way backwards. Like you're saying, and that's really easy to do, right? Because it's, it's very definitive. Um, and I want to finish in, in this time and I can measure it and everything else. But then when it comes to life and you think about, okay, where do I want to be in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Why is it so hard sometimes to, to, to define what we want? It's like, what the heck do we not even know ourselves or, or what is it? You know what I've come to realize and believe the reason exactly. it's so hard. We don't even know what's best for us. Mm-hmm. I used to think I could say, I want to go get a done in furtherance of this objective, whatever. And a wouldn't happen. And I was disappointed. I've now learned that more than half the time, maybe two thirds when a doesn't happen, it was good news because I went a different direction. Something else happened and it was better for me. And the outcome was more consistent with my aspiration. Let's say my aspirations for love or helping others or building a great company, whatever it was, it was more fulfilled because what I wanted, A, didn't happen. And what I've learned is a lot of things that don't happen are not brick walls. They are signposts. They are saying, take a right turn. 
don't proceed ahead, take a left turn. And so now when I'm building a project, I look for those. When something, I try it a couple of times and it isn't working the way I expected, I stand back and say, is that a signpost to go, is that a directional sign I should go a different direction? And it usually is. And I usually can figure out, well, what is working and switch directions. And that usually works. And I've realized, wow, the answers are out there for us. Once we give up the notion, we can have the goal, I want to become wonderful in this way, uh, or I want you know, my team to do great. That's a good vision. But to think we know how we're going to get from here to there and that the short-term little objectives we set when they turn out to be walls or signposts is a disappointment, that's where we make our mistake. We actually don't know how we're going to get there. And I think once we learn that we don't know and look for disappointments to become guideposts, then we start to really succeed and it gets so much easier. Well, and, and don't you think, Brian, it goes back to you know the beginning of our conversation um, about that victim mentality where you know you hit this wall like you're talking about, and most people, don't you think they say, look, see, I'm a failure. I knew yep. I wasn't good enough. I, I knew this wasn't going to work out. Why even try? Um, instead yep. of sitting back and saying, what can I learn from this? Like, you know, I'm I'm the captain of my ship here. And look, all these, all these things in life are for me to give me experience. And what can I learn from this? And, and I like that analogy of the signpost, because I think that can really change our perspective and give us that fuel to keep pushing on instead of just giving up at the first sign of hardship, right? Yeah. I've realized just over the last five years about these signposts and that I really don't know. And I've admitted it, admitting it yourself is key, but then using it, realizing the universe seems to want us to succeed when our objectives are good and it's helping us. So assume that you're being helped. And when you bounce off of something, look around and see which direction you're supposed to go because it's there for you. Um, absolutely. If anyone has a mentality of victimhood, then they'll say, oh, the world conspired against me. If you go the opposite and say, the universe wants me to succeed at this. It's simply telling me that isn't the right move. I should make a different move now going a different direction to accomplish the same objective. That tends to work really well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much easier and more positive. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. So I, I think in private equity and investing, obviously you, you need to go into an organization and have a plan and understand like how you're going to maximize value. And there's this, there's this time horizon. And I think a lot of those principles could be applied to our personal lives as well. We say, okay, we got this time horizon. We want to maximize value of our lives and we need to have a plan. So, you know, I'm a very analytical type person. I'm a planner. I think about the future. I'm a futurist, a strategist. And sometimes I mean, oftentimes it's it's very helpful to have those um, skills and capabilities in business. Um, when it comes to my personal life, sometimes you know I, I can overthink, I can overplan, and I can plan the unplannable. And when I think about like my life, sure, there's things that I've thought about and I plan, and they've turned out, and I've been able to achieve them. But then there's other things like other opportunities that have popped up in my life over and over again, and they weren't in my plan. They they weren't in my plan. So as I was having an interesting conversation with a, a CEO and founder um, just last week. And during the conversation, you know, he mentioned to me this, this very fact. And he said, look, Steve, you know, I, I did used to live my life where I tried to plan everything. And this is like, it gave me this false sense of control of my life. Um, but then what I realized, this is, this is what he's saying, you know, then I realized that when I stepped back and I started to listen and I started to be more still then I was in a greater position to receive, receive opportunities, receive things that were coming into my life rather than trying to force things and plan them. So what are your thoughts on that? And how do you balance that? Like that idea of like living in the now, like living in the moment now, but also like you have to have some type of vision and plan for the future, but you also need to be still sometimes and you know, have the capacity to receive things because inevitably good things are going to come into our lives and opportunities are going to come up, but we may miss them if we're not in that right mindset. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that CEO and the conversation you had, Steve. And that is, you know what I do, and this sounds foolish, but it really works for me. I leave half of my day every day unscheduled. So I will have a one-hour slot where I have some conversation going on or a meeting, and I leave an hour blank. And I do that for a lot of reasons. One of them is to be in the mode that you suggested of being in the receive mode. Because what I found is ideas come to me when I'm quieter, calmer, and not working on a plan or a problem. Ideas come to me. And I may write them down. I may make notes on them and get creative and come back. Some of them I come back to over and over and eventually do. And that's where my big learning occurs. And the things I learn from those are things that I can accomplish a lot without expending a lot of time. They're very much time savers. So I don't really waste time, in my view, by only scheduling half my time and being in the receive mode. Because I have found, I don't think I have great ideas, but I think they come to me from God or the universe because I'm a conduit. I think my motives are good. I try to help our team and other people and improve the lives of other people in in work as well as in play. I get good ideas, I think, partly because uh, my motives are pretty good. And I think, and yours are too, I can tell that it'll come to you. And so, and, and plus, spending too much time planning too much detail, I think, is an effort that doesn't pay off because we can't predict the future and what's about to happen. Yeah, I agree with that. And so I, I want to touch on something that's in the summary of your book, Be a Winner. Um, there's some bullet points on your website. So if, if you go to briancreasy.com, you can you can find this um, the, the same thing that I'm talking about. But um, in, the, in this uh, summary of your book, there's this one bullet point that's been on my mind lately. And so let me give a little bit of context <laughs> and then I'll read that bullet point here. But I, I think about you know, life. And I think like we all have the opportunities to be creators here on earth, right? So we come down to earth, mm-hmm. we have this opportunity to create our own world. Okay. And what I yeah. mean by that is like, yeah, we're not going out there and creating other planets, you know, at this point in life. Um, but instead <laughs> we get the opportunity to, you know, be our own creators, right? Almost yes, be like we do. gods mm-hmm. of our own worlds. Right. And so when I think about that, you know, what that means to me is like, and it goes back to the, our conversation at the beginning, we all create our own world. So we get to choose what we let into our world, what our world's going to look like, um, who's in our world, what that world consists of. And it, it's interesting because, you know, I've traveled around the world and I could go to a waterfall and I can look at that waterfall and say, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And I love the mist coming off the waterfall and it, it's so refreshing on my face. And um, it's just, it's amazing. But then there could be somebody else that goes yeah. to the same exact waterfall is a, oh, I, you know, I, I hate this water. Look at all the mist. Oh, it's getting all over me. It's cold. And oh, I just stepped in mud and, and da, da, da. So like, how we view things, how what what we want our worlds to look like is up to us. So you have this bullet point that says creating your world as you want it to be. And so it goes along with that whole thought of we are creators of our own world. And, and I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, your insights are unusually perceptive in my mind and profound because the world is not a set of facts or physical buildings, as you point out. We see with our two eyes whatever we see because we choose where we go and we think what we think. And I believe that where we spend our time helps create our world, who we associate with, what we do creates our world. And I believe it starts at an early age. Recall when I was in high school and the teacher thought I should go into engineering in college because I was good with numbers. And I recognized, yeah, that doesn't fulfill who I think I am. And the same thing happened in college with in a different direction, et cetera, et cetera. But I recognized at a young age, and I recommend everyone do this, I call it impose your judgment on the world. Impose your judgment on the world. Decide what fits for you and say no to the other things and yes to that, or go make that happen if no one gives you that opportunity. 
but you can step at a time, create the world you see, the world you perceive, and how you feel about your own world because you created it. And people who are victims or feel in a rut and afraid to change, they've not adopted what you were just describing, Steve, is creating your own world and it's there to be done. And very few people see that. But once they do and start living that, life becomes great because you're living in a world you enjoy. And there's one aspect that's wrong, say a person, you just don't associate with them anymore. Yeah, I agree. I love that. And, you know, I mean, so many great takeaways and I, I mean, I could keep going. This could be a two hour episode if I, if it was my world and I could create it, um, this, this <laughs> podcast, how I wanted to, but, um, but unfortunately for the listeners, we, uh, we got to wrap it up, but here's the thing, you know, this has been a great conversation, Brian, and, and this is a, a podcast called strategic financial leadership. And, you know, you have a t- tremendous amount of experience in private equity and investing in business and everything else. And we could have went down that direction and went down that path, but you know what, that kind of stuff, sometimes could be uh, a little boring. So that's what we live all the time. But uh, so I, I wanted to talk about something that really matters because to your point, if you can master these fundamentals, these principles that you're talking about, they, they automatically infiltrate you know, the business world, our professional lives and everything else. And they allow us to be more successful. And that's why, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you about your new book, be a winner. Um, and, and just hearing your, your ideology and your mindset, because, you know, if you want to be successful as a strategic financial leader, if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, if you want to be successful in private equity, whatever the world is that you want to be successful in, you know, mastering these fundamentals really will pay huge dividends as you pursue you know, that, that big, bold vision that you have for your own life. And so I, I appreciate you being on the show and, you know, sharing your thoughts and, and just your ideas that are, are captured in this book. Thank you, Steve. I've greatly enjoyed it. And I agree that once a person starts to master themselves and create their world, they can accomplish far more with far less time than simply learning how to analyze. And mm-hmm. that's where leadership and great external and internal success is born, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So uh, in any parting words for, um, for our listeners out there before we uh, wrap um, up? Only parting word would be if you like these things and want to know more specifically about how I at least have learned to succeed, do explore my book and email me if you have questions. I'm always here. I love taking questions, real life situations. So I'm available. That's excellent. And and thanks a lot. Yeah. Check out the book, Be a Winner um, by Brian Creasy. You could, uh, you, we'll, we'll link some things in the show notes as well, but uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. And uh, we, we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve. I've really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at cultivar.com. I would love to connect. All the best.